Well, today I'd like to have a conversation with us about the different ways we look at our faith, the different lenses we choose to use in our lives to view the journey of faith and the life of faith and the life here on earth that we have been given. You know, most of us, whether at work or at school, in our marriages, with our neighbors, at home or at the office, have probably had a disagreement with someone along the way, right? And oftentimes, the reason for that disagreement, it can be said, was that people view life in different ways, right? If we start to understand somebody else, we say, oh, I was able to see it from his or her perspective. We view life through a variety of different lenses. We say perhaps that some of us are optimistic, glass half full sort of people, and others view life with the half empty lens. In social conversations, some of us view life as an extrovert, or maybe we view life as an introvert. It's the way we see life. Generations, baby boomers will see life differently than a Gen Xer will, or differently than after that than a millennial will. We talk about the different ways we see our lives. And this is a passage for today where Jesus is inviting us to view life through the lens of gratitude. And he tells us the story, the, Luke tells us the story of a miracle that Jesus performs. There are 10 men on the outskirts of a community struggling with what is titled as leprosy. Now, leprosy is not something necessarily we interact with much in our North American culture. It was sort of a catch-all uh, bucket, if you will, for a wide variety of skin disorders and diseases, many of which were highly contagious and many of which were fatal. And if you were a person who had been diagnosed with leprosy because you were highly contagious, suddenly you were removed from your community. You were set apart outside of the community. You had to leave your family, your friends, your community, your profession. All of a sudden, life as you knew it was over. And you were invited, actually I shouldn't say invited, you were forced outside of your community. You were cut off, cast off. And if you think about it, what a, what a sad diagnosis. What a, what a sad way to make your way through life. And because you were highly contagious, you were not even allowed to touch another human being. You know, social research indicates how important physical contact is for young children and infants, newborns, all the way on up through adults. A couple years ago, there were researchers at Berkeley who studied the power of human contact, and they used NBA teams as their test case and said most of the top performing teams in the NBA also were teams that were very, for lack of a better word, touchy feely guys that often hugged each other and bumped into each other and, and, and were all over each other on the sidelines. The teams that were the top performers in the NBA were always the teams that had the highest human contact with one another. Here's a community of people who have no contact with anybody other than other people struggling with the same illness. 
This is tragic. Leviticus tells us that if you were afflicted with leprosy, what you had to do was call out unclean. You had to holler unclean. I am unclean. Don't come near me. If you were, if someone was traveling on the road past where you were, you had to call out and preface that they couldn't even come near you. And so we get this story where we have these 10 lepers and they see Jesus coming down the road. And what they are supposed to do is call out unclean, unclean. But instead they cry out to Jesus, have pity on us. Have mercy on us. Jesus, help me, please. How many of us find ourselves, perhaps, with this as the cry of our hearts? Life is not always happy. It's not always easy. And on more than one occasion, we cry out similar to Jesus. Have mercy on me. Have pity on me. Take what is hard. Take what I am afflicted with or what my friends and the people I love are struggling with. Take it away. Have pity. This is the cry that they offer up to Jesus. And Jesus engages them. He tells them, go to the priests. Go to the priests. And on the way to the priests, they receive healing. And why did Jesus send them to the priests? I mean, he could have healed them himself by touching them and putting his hand on them and healing them right there in that moment. But he sent them back to the priests. Why? Because by going to the priests, they would then be allowed to re-enter and re-engage their communities. The priest was the one who had the power to declare you clean again. Jesus healed them, and then they were to stand before the priests and basically get their life back, which is what they cried out for and what they so desperately wanted. It's what we want when we cry out to Jesus as well. And I don't know about you, but I do this. I cry out to Jesus, and I make all sorts of deals with God sometimes. If only you'll do this for me. I promise I'll pray harder than ever for the rest of my life. I promise I will always go to church every Sunday. Maybe I'll go twice. We barter a little bit. We bargain with God sometimes. Hannah does this in the book of 1 Samuel. She says, Lord, if you will only give me a child, I will give him back to you. And then what happens? We get what we want. Maybe, maybe we get the miracle, not always, but maybe we do. And we go back about our business. We go on with our days. We, we forget sometimes to come back to God and give him thanksgiving and praise for all he has done. And nine of these 10 men, understandably, we can relate to this. They receive their blessing. They're told you are free to go back to your community and they race back. And one comes back to Jesus. And isn't it interesting? He, the one that comes back, is a Samaritan. The only non-religious person in this bunch is the one who comes back to Jesus and says, Wow, thank you. Thank you. You healed me. Everyone else, if you look at the text, was cleansed. 
so that they could be made right with their community. And after this person, this 10th person comes back, we're told that Jesus then says, you have been healed. Being healed is very different than being cleansed. The word here for healed is sozo. It's the same word we use for salvation. You have been saved. This man came back and realized the proper posture he needed to have before God. He saw something in Jesus that made him come back and want more. And it was a risk for him to come back. He was the only non-Jewish person in the bunch. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. I sometimes wonder, did he think, ooh, if I go back and say thank you, what if Jesus got it wrong and, and wasn't, didn't mean to heal me? I'm, I'm not a Jewish man. I'm, I'm a Samaritan. He took the risk. He took the time to come back and thank Jesus for what he had before he went back and got his life back. Alan Culpepper once said that gratitude may be the purest measure of one's character and spiritual condition. How are we grateful to God for what he has done for us? And I know that some of you are sitting here today, understandably thinking to yourself, well, you know what? God hasn't done a whole lot for me. I'm struggling, you may be saying. But the fact that we are here today, that we woke up this morning with breath in our lungs, is something to be grateful for. And to give God gratitude and thanks puts us at a proper posture with God. We understand we didn't orchestrate this on our own. We are limited, finite beings at the feet of a gracious and loving God who has given us all that we are. And the response to that is, thank you. And Jesus is a little chapped in this passage. You can read into it. He, he sounds a little forceful. Well, didn't I heal 10 of them? Why is only one come back? He doesn't even directly address the one that comes back. He's addressing a whole crowd. And he's wondering, why is it we take what we get and run so quickly? Why don't we have the proper posture and the grace and the wonder and the grateful hearts that we are called to have before God? You know, I wonder why is it that we will more likely go through our days sometimes bent on what we haven't received out of the day than relishing in the goodness that we have received? I found myself going running recently and... I am slower and um, a little less of a runner than I once was. And I remember running uh, just a couple blocks from my house. I was just a couple blocks into it, and I was gasping for air. I'm so glad I'm not running the marathon today. And I was out of breath, and I was just grumpy. And I thought to myself, I am slow. I am out of shape. I'm this suburban mom, you know, shuffling her way along the sidewalks. And I just was snivelly in my heart. And I caught myself. And I thought, shame on me. I have air in my lungs that is moving me down this sidewalk. I have feet to carry me. And I started to look around at the wonder and the splendor of October. And it was a gorgeous day. 
And how dare I shuffle along the sidewalk without an ounce of thanksgiving in me? And I was reminded of the story Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery. And she talks in a section of the book about the sheer joy of this time of year and the splendor of the trees and the wonder of the seasons. And Montgomery says, Anne reveled in the world of color about her. And here is what she said to Marilla, who was her guardian. She exclaimed one Saturday morning, coming, dancing into the room with her arms full of gorgeous boughs. I'm so glad I live in a world where there are Octobers. It would be terrible if we just skipped from September to November, wouldn't it? Look at these maple branches. Don't they give you a thrill? Several thrills. I am going to decorate my room with them. And Marilla says to her, those are messy things. You clutter up your room entirely too much with all that out-of-doors stuff. Bedrooms were made to sleep in. You can see the difference in the posture, in the attitude, when all of life is a splendor and a wonder. This is what God is asking us to do. This is what this 10th man did in this passage. He took nothing for granted. He lived in the marvelous world where everything was a miracle. And he threw himself at the feet of Jesus and put himself in the right place to receive it and to find restoration and renewal of his very soul. The passage here is not about physical healing. It is about the healing of our souls. I think we struggle so often to come to God in this way because we live in a world where we can, if we're not careful, careful view one another as, as transactions, as commodities. People and the things we have are goods to be exchanged. Miroslav Wolf talks at length about this. And our consumer-driven culture that puts a lens through which we see the world as what I didn't get and what I deserved instead of the abundant goodness that is all around. We are marketed to constantly. We are told consistently, if it doesn't work for you, move on and do something different. People leave marriages because they just weren't excited anymore. People leave friendships because certain people just didn't do it for them anymore. Donald Miller said, with all of the consumer lenses we view life through and all of the entitled attitudes around us, around us that we would be foolish. We would be fools to believe this doesn't trickle into our faith. And we often then look at God and say, I didn't get what I wanted. I thought you were supposed to fix this. I thought you were supposed to mend this. I thought you were in the business of making everything right. And then if we get the miracle or we get the cleansing, we dash off as if we deserved it. And if we had it coming to us the entire time, what does it look like for us to come to God and take that lens off and not live as entitled people, but to live as grateful followers of Jesus. 
When we see that the man came back and thanked Jesus, the word thanked is Eucharisto. It's the word where we get Eucharist, communion. Jesus, we're told in Luke 22, broke bread and gave thanks. This is the same word. Being thankful, coming into communion, is to live a life of gratitude and to find ourselves at the proper posture at the feet of Jesus. It changes how we see the world. The Apostle Paul lived grateful all of his letters except for one start out somewhere at the beginning saying, I thank God for you, Corinthians, Romans 8, or Romans 1, 8. I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Ephesians, he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Over and over and over again, Paul gushes with thanksgiving. He has found the praise of God, and he has pulled the community together to give thanks. He recognizes his posture before God. Albert Einstein once said, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle, and the other is as though everything is a miracle. Do we live with a posture toward God that brings us daily into an understanding that everything is a miracle of God. Creation, our existence, is the opportunity to give praise and gratitude for God. And I pray that we can find our ways into conversations and into places with people where we take the blessings of God And we turn ourselves back to the proper posture toward God and live like this 10th man did in the abundant blessing of Jesus. At our house and at most homes, we're big on the words please and thank you. You know, most parents, these are the words they're horrified if their kids leave out (laughs) and they celebrate and try to get their children to say And you will not, in my house, get what you want from me if you don't preface it with please. You cannot come bounding into the kitchen in the morning and say, Mom, give me breakfast now. It doesn't work. And when we give our children what they want, we ask them, now what do you say? Thanks, Mom. And I remember one particular showdown a couple years ago where one of my children had come in and stuffed his grubby little hands into our treat jar and pulled out a Tootsie Roll that I had just given him permission to get. And he took it, and he walked right out of the kitchen. And I said, say thanks. And he turned around and he goes, no. And I said, you will get back here, and you will thank me for the Tootsie Roll, or you will put the Tootsie Roll back in the jar. And he said, no. I took the Tootsie Roll and I put it back in the jar. Of course, he crumpled onto the floor and began crying. And why won't you give me what I want? And I remember thinking to myself, my hope as a mother wasn't to be the killjoy for him and wasn't to rob him of his little Tootsie Roll. But I wanted him to know the proper posture that he needed to have toward me. I was the giver of good things in that moment. And he needed to show in his heart he understood gratitude. Not because I needed to hear the word, 
but because it proved to me he understood where the good things came from and how something as small as a Tootsie Roll indicated that he knew his place in our home. <laughs> and it's just a Tootsie Roll story, but this is, this is God, right? I mean, he stands before us. Did I not heal all 10? Where's everybody else? What's the posture toward me? Where's the praise and the adoration and the acknowledgement that the things that I have done for you are good? And God wants us to have that attitude toward him, not because he is a cosmic killjoy, but because he wants to shower his blessings upon us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to find ourselves saved in him and to live in a life that's filled with gratitude and joy at the wonder of something as simple as October. This is what gratitude does for the soul. And when we slow our lives down enough to look around and praise God for all that is good and beautiful and a miracle, we find ourselves in the proper posture and worship of God. So my challenge for all of us this week as we leave here is to look around as often as you can this week and just say thank you. Maybe you're stuck in traffic tomorrow morning on the Eisenhower, which could feel like the last place in the world to be thank you, to say thank you. Praise God that you have a car to be sitting in that traffic. Thank God for the people you're here with today, even if you're on the outs with some of them. Thank God for the place you lay your head at night, even if it's not exactly what you thought it would be at this stage in your life. Find a way this week to be abundantly thankful as often as you can. For in doing so, we put ourselves at the feet of the God in heaven who gave us all of it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the abundant gift of this congregation, for the building we worship in, for the pews we sit in. We thank you for our friends who are running today, Lord, that you gave them socks and shoes and strength and water stations and first aid, that you gave them and all of us a city like Chicago where they could run a marathon. Thank you, Lord, that most of us will leave here today and eat something and that our bellies will be filled. Thank you, Lord, that there are people here who love us, even if we don't know that yet. There are people in this room who are ready to love us. Thank you that we have your scripture in front of us. We have songs to sing. We have hearts that have praises that you want to bring out on our lips. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of this day. And may we find ourselves eternally grateful to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.